the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God had prepared the Israelites for the conquest of the land promised to them, the land of Canaan. They were to be God's instrument of justice on a wicked people. But God called the nation to love him supremely, that they should put him first in all and worship him in the way he had designated. They were reminded that once in the land, they must continue worshiping God in the places and ways he set up, and to keep away from foreign idols. Last we saw that the Israelites were to not let their heroes or most valued leaders distract them away from God. Now we will see another group that is to take a lesser priority than God, as we continue with Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. Not only do we need to love Jesus more than any hero, anyone that's impacted our lives, we need to love Jesus more than our family and friends. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, Moses says to them, Now, that we dealt with the false prophets. Now, if your brother, the son of your mother, in other words, you had the same parents. Back then, it'd be very rare for you to be close to a step-sibling. That's just the way the culture worked. You were usually separated, lived in separate areas. It's just a different mess. I'm not saying it's right, just how it was. So the idea here is it's someone that you're very close to. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife of your bosom. So this is not just someone you're married to and you're like, yeah, I'm staying married because Jesus tells me to, but I don't like it. This is someone that you're like, you are in love. The wife of your bosom means the one who rests upon your heart each night. Isn't that cool? Scripture describes your wife that way, man. That's how you should view your wives. And if you don't, you need to change your heart. The wife that you love, the wife of your bosom, or your friend, which is as your own soul, who you love as much as your own life, He says, if they entice you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have known, you nor your fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, near unto you or far off from you, from the one end of earth even unto the other end, you shall not consent to him nor hearken unto him, neither shall your eye pity him, neither shall you spare him, neither shall you conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Wow, that's heavy, isn't it? Let's start back at the beginning. These are all people that he lists here that you'd love more than anyone else in the world, right? I love all of you, but I love my wife more. I'm just saying. I love all of you, but I love my kids more. Just saying. And, and you will never win that competition, okay? I love them dearly. I love my brothers, my sisters, my parents. I love them dearly, all right? They have a special place in my life. So the reason he lists these types of people is because he's trying to explain there are no exceptions to this command. So even if one of these people would do it, what do they do? If they shall entice you secretly. The word entice means to speak in a way to encourage you to do something. And it's one-on-one. No one else would know the conversation even took place. So you could just be like, don't ever say that to me again and move on. And no one would know. But if that happens, that's not how you're to respond. 
If they say to you secretly, let's go serve other gods, wherever they're from, he says, I don't care where this God comes from. If it's from God that the people near to you worship or a God that's far off to the ends of the earth, any other God, no exceptions. How are they to handle that situation? Again, two ways. Verse eight, number one, you shall not consent unto him nor hearken unto him. You will not act upon it is what he says. Don't even listen to what I have to say on the topic. The very first thing an Israelite must do is to outright reject their suggestion. No, I will not listen to that. You won't say that anymore to me. That is wrong. I serve the Lord and him alone. You make that clear right up front. You know, it's interesting when dealing with unbelievers, and if you're in an environment where like a lot of your friends, you know, you got saved, a lot of your friends are unbelievers and they do things that like, you know, God doesn't want you to do. And so when you're with them, it's very tempting and stuff. Here's one way to fix that. One way to fix that. When they ask you, say, hey man, you want to come out and get wasted with us? Be like, I'll come out with you, but I'm not drinking. Why, man? Don't tell them and go, I'm a Christian. I'm not allowed to do that. Because they will keep hounding you. Tell them this. Say, listen, I love you guys, but I love my Jesus more than I love you guys. And if that means I don't get to hang out with you, then I don't get to hang out with you. Now, I want to hang out with you because I love you, but I'm not going to do those things. So if we can't hang out and me not do those things, I love Jesus more than I love you. And that's just how it goes. I promise you, they will stop bothering you. They won't get on your case anymore because you're not turning it into a religious thing. You're turning it into a relational thing. All right. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, Will, can we go out on a date? I'm going to say to them, no. But I'm not going to say, well, no, I, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm married. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, no, I love my bride. She is the girl of my dreams. I am in love with her. Why would I think about going anywhere else? I don't go on dates with other people. I'm perfectly content where I am. I think it is a serious thing, though. I find that frequently Christians struggle because they don't make their intent clear. And if you tell them and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the party pooper or anything like that. I, I just, I love Jesus. And I don't want to break his heart. And doing that would break his heart. So we go watch a movie instead, or we do go do this instead. And that means you might lose a friend. But you still got Jesus, so it's fine. You need to love Jesus more than any family or friend. So first off, you need to outright reject their suggestion. But the second part's harder. The second part an Israelite had to do was they should not pity them. They could not want to spare them from the impending judgment that they deserve now because they did this. Neither shall you spare them. You can't hide this. Neither shall you conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. If that wasn't hard enough, you must not only report them to the authorities, but you must participate in their execution. It says here, your hand shall be first upon him to be put to death, and then afterwards the hands of all the people. You shall stone him with stones that he died because he has sought to thrust you away from the Lord your God, same as the false prophets, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now again, the reasons for the heavy judgment are the same as the reasons for the false prophet. They are lying to you. What they are saying will lead not only you, but others to harm if it's not dealt with. Now, why must you participate in the stoning? Because you need to demonstrate that your love for God is greater than your love for anybody else. Otherwise, God would have to judge the nation because that person has become your idol. Did you hear that? So you could say, well, you know, I'm not going to worship that. I'm going to tell them to stop. No, no, no. If you don't report it, you've disobeyed God. And now the problem's not their idol. The problem's your idol because they've become your idol. You love them more than you love the Lord. And therefore, God has to judge the nation. So that's why you had to do that. When someone's love for God was shown that way, it creates the opposite effect in the nation. Others revere God more. They don't want to go after idols. Look at verse 11. And all Israel shall hear. Oh, I bet they'll hear. They'll hear and they will fear, you know, and they will, shall do no more any such wickedness as this that is among you. You know, if someone was practicing idolatry in secret, this would make them think twice and even repent. 
Now, you might be saying, but Will, this still sounds too harsh. I mean, it's just one person, not bothering anybody. Why is it such a big deal? Because there's no neutrality with the Lord. Listen, if you're not encouraging your family and friends to serve God, then you're having a negative impact on their lives. That's just how it works. I wish it didn't work that way, but it's how it works. When you look at Israel's failures as a nation, they never started off with wholesale idolatry. It's not like they just walked up and they were like, hey guys, let's all follow Baal. That's not how it worked. A lot of times the way idolatry happened in Israel is simply because the generation that followed the Lord neglected to pass it on to the next one. They would grow cold in their love for God or they'd fail to pass that love on to the next generation. Look at Judges chapter two with me because this is a generation after Joshua. So the generation that Moses is preaching to right now, look at what happens to the next generation. Look at what this generation that Moses is preaching to right now fails to do. Judges two, verse seven. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, being the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation, so everybody now that Moses is preaching to, they finally all die out. They're gathered under their fathers. And look what happens. There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What? So here we have this generation that Moses is preaching to right now. Them and their kids, they go in, take the land. Spoilers, spoiler warning. They go in, they take the land, they win. And then they, they all grow up and die. And so now the grandkids come in. They're the ones born in the land. They grow up, they don't know the Lord, and they haven't heard any of the stories of what God did in their parents' lives and their grandparents' lives. How does that happen? It's not because somebody walked up and said, look at this new tiki God I got. Let's worship him. It happened because their love for the Lord grew cold and they failed to pass on that love to their kids, to the next generation. That's why idolatry has to be nipped in the bud right away, right away. Now, how do we handle idolatry when we see it in someone else's life? Well, again, please do not stone anyone. We are not a nation like Israel was. It's not a capital crime. So how do we handle it then? Well, we're just to follow the first part. That's what the New Testament says. Look at Matthew chapter 10. The first part is we must outright reject anyone else's idolatry and we must decide to love Jesus more than even our closest family member or friend. That we would never follow them in idolatry, but we would follow the Lord, even if it means parting. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. Jesus, heavy words. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our love for Jesus, and another teaching Jesus gives, he said, comparison to our love for anyone else, even our closest family members and friends, should be like hatred for them. That's how much more our love for Jesus should be. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to hate them. Please don't do that, all right? But the idea is our love for him, our loyalty to him, needs to be so much greater that it'd be like that. It's so much lesser for them by comparison to Kim that there should be a big gap between it. He says, and he that takes not up his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. For he that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So if you have a spouse who's an unbeliever, you need to stay with them. Don't stone them. Don't leave them. Sorry. But you also can't compromise your commitment to the Lord. You can't. If they ask you or they demand that you disobey the Lord, you have to say, honey, I love you and I'm committed to this marriage, but I can't, I can't go along with this. I love the Lord more. And the same goes true for a friend or a sibling or even your own children. Jesus comes first. It's funny, Beverly and I, when we first started dating, we had a conversation, a very serious conversation, because I said, if I'm going to date you, you need to understand something. I said, you'll always be number two. You'll always be second. 
you will never be number one in my life. She smiled at me and she said, good. She goes, because you need to understand something. You will never be number one in my life. And it's funny, we still talk to each other. And even though we know that Jesus is first, I think it was just a couple weeks ago you said to me something, well, I love you so much, or trying to encourage me. And I love you more than anyone else in the world, except Jesus. She always adds that, still. But the idea is, is it's something that's important to us. I love you, but Jesus first. Jesus comes first. We need to love Jesus more than any of our heroes, anyone that has an impact on our life. Love Jesus more than any family or friend. And lastly, we need to love Jesus more than even our own country. Look at verse 12. He says, now next, if you shall hear say in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, saying, well, certain men, children of Belial, they have gone out from among you and they have withdrawn the inhabitants of the city saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. So what do you do if an entire city defects from the Lord? And what do you do as a nation? What do you do if you hear about it and you're just average Joe Smith and you hear about it? Well, first off the scenario here, it says that you hear that certain men, the children of Belial, that's the Old Testament phrase for sons of Satan. These are just bad dudes, all right? It means lawbreakers or rebels against God and his commands. They don't care what God says. They're going to do what they want to do. So if you've heard about guys, you know they've been kind of rebels against the Lord. And you find out or you hear word that they have left you and now they have withdrawn the inhabitants of the city. That's the same word for seduce earlier in this chapter. They have seduced an entire city to follow idols. If that's the rumor that comes to your ears, then you have to do something about it. What do you have to do? Verse 14. Now, since this is just hearsay, you don't go to the authorities first. An inquiry must be made before any action is taken. And it needs to be a, a serious inquiry. Look at verse 14. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. The word diligently applies to making search, applies to inquiring and to asking. It applies to all three. And the word diligently means to be successful in one's endeavor. So in your inquiring, in your searching, in your questions, you need to be successful in establishing the information. You need to be successful. It can't be a, I think it's going on. It says, and behold, if it be truth and the thing is certain, which means established and proven, that such an abomination is wrought inside of you, needs to be no doubt whatsoever. If that happens, how do you handle it? Again, two ways. It's a two-step solution. Verse 15, you shall surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. Israel was to gather their army and attack their own people. Love for God must even come above love for their own countrymen. Israel actually had to do this at one point in time. We'll get to it 2035 when we get to the book of Judges. But in the book of Judges, there was a city in the tribe of Benjamin, and it was a city given to sexual immorality. And a Levite came to visit, and they demanded the guests that he was staying with, they were homosexuality is prevalent there, and they demanded that they give over the Levite because they wanted to have their way with him. They wanted to rape him. And can't do that. It's, I call God's curses down upon me. It was a messed up city. But how about his concubine? And so they raped the concubine and killed her. And when the Levite came out and found it, he chopped her up into 12 pieces and sent it to all the tribes of Israel and said, what are you going to do about this? These people raped and killed my concubine. Now, there's so many things that are messed up in this. I don't want to get into that tonight, all right? The Levite's bad. The city's bad. The people are bad. But the nation, this thing kind of galvanizes them where they go, enough is enough. We need to do something. And they actually come to the city and say, turn over those men 
so that we can deal with them, bring them to justice. And if you don't, then we're gonna have to deal with you. And the whole tribe of Benjamin said, come and take him from us. And Israel had a civil war with 11 tribes against one. And they almost wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin because of it. Is there a time when that would have to be done? God says, yes. There's a time when that would have to be done. Israel was supposed to completely wipe out those people for that idolatry. Everyone was to be killed. Every living thing was to be killed. And not only that, that's step one. Step two, everything was to be destroyed. Verse 16. And you shall gather all the spoil from the city, all the the possessions of the city, into the middle of the street thereof, and you'll burn it all with fire, the city with fire, and all the spoil thereof. Every wit for the Lord your God. And it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. The city is to become and left an eternal ruin. No one is to live there. Why? Because the point is that's what God was supposed to do to the nation if they got involved in idolatry. And so if they took care of it, if they policed themselves, then God wouldn't have to do it to the entire nation for this widespread idolatry. Why would they need to do it this way? Because again, it would prove their love for God. Verse 17. And there shall cleave not of the cursed thing to your hand. Why? That the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion upon you and multiply you as he has sworn unto your fathers. By not letting anything, keeping any of that plunder close to them, by any personal gain for themselves, by destroying everything, it would prove that the nation held nothing close to their heart to rival the Lord, that it was the Lord they held close to their heart, that they loved him more than their own countrymen or their own desire for personal gain. And if Israel did this, then he would forgive the nation for this idolatry that they allowed and not give them what they deserved. We get down here to verse 18, and this would ensure God's blessing on the nation. He says, and he will multiply you as he has sworn unto your fathers when you shall hearken, when you'll listen to the voice of the Lord your God, to Keep all his commandments, which I command you this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. If they dealt with sin seriously, then God would still be able to bless the nation despite what happened. I love this because we kind of deal with some heavy topics here and some heavy consequences for those crimes. But this shows that God longs to be merciful to us, right? That he doesn't want to judge the nation. He says, I'll give you an out. You deal with it. And then I don't have to deal with the nation. God wants to bless us. He doesn't want to judge humanity. That's why he's patient. That's why he waits. That's why we don't see him coming from the clouds yet to wipe everything out that's evil. People go, if God was out there, if God loved us, you know, he would stop all the evil. Well, let me tell you what. If he came now and you didn't, weren't right with him, you wouldn't be happy for that. He'd come to stop evil because you'd be on the list. You'd be part of the evil that he has to stop. So he waits. He's patient that we would take care of it ourselves, that we would repent so that he wouldn't have to judge us, that we might be forgiven. But not only does this show us that God is merciful and he longs to bless us, it shows us the importance of loving God supremely, doesn't it? It shows us the importance of being obedient to him even in the most difficult scenarios we might face in our lives. In keeping with the theme of the chapter, how do you and I ensure that we are obeying God even in the most difficult scenarios? Two ways. Two things. Number one, you and I need to be in the word because he talks about here, how do they do this? When you shall hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. And then secondly, we need to want to please him above everything. He says here to keep all his commandments. That's why we're in the word, to keep all his commandments which I command you this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. Let me ask you something. I don't know about you, but if I come out of my room, our bedroom, and Bev looks at me and she's like, "Mm, you look good. I'm pretty much beaming for the rest of the day. 
right? Like, I am good. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm just going to be good. Because I want, I want her to be pleased with me. If I do something and she smiles at me, that means something. If I do something for my kids, people who mean the most to me, and they, they look up and they just smile, you know, and they're like, thanks, Dad. Or you just see them having fun. We're laughing together. It's just it's the world to me that they value me, that what I am, the impact I'm having on their life is important to them somehow. Listen, more than anything, I want that smile from the Lord, you know, to please him, to do what's right in his eyes. So if we want to ensure that we're obeying God, even in the most difficult scenarios, we need to be in the word and we need to want to please him above anyone else. When Jesus is my first love, his word doesn't just become fodder for my systematic theology. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's him speaking to me in love and me responding to him in love. And when you approach your Bible reading like that, I can promise you that his commands won't be a burden to you. That when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and my commandments aren't a burden, they're not grievous, the King James says, I can promise you, if that's your approach to his voice, they won't be a burden. Because you'll see that, and it will move your heart. You'll want to please him. And secondly, if you're after what pleases him, then you're going to be after what is proper, what is right, what he wants. So you won't do anything that's wrong, even in the most difficult scenarios or situations. You know, Paul the Apostle in Galatians 1 verse 10, dealing with this false teaching that was going on in in the church of Galatia. They were teaching that, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you're sanctified by works. You got to keep the law. And Paul's just flabbergasted by this. And he says in Galatians 1.10, he goes, everything I taught you, did I do that because I'm trying to persuade men? Or did I do that because I'm trying to persuade God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, then I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul says, I'm not a man pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. Now I'm from the 80s, so you got to forgive me for a second here. There was an old song by a band called Petra called God Pleaser, and I want to leave you with the lyrics tonight. The bridge went like this. It says, I just want my life to glorify his son, to make my father proud that I'm his child before I'm done. No need to pat me on the back or stop to shake my hand. I just want to hear my father say, well done, well done. I just want to hear my father say, well done. Listen, that's what we're after being God pleasers, to hear him say, well done, nobody else, none of that matters. It's great when it happens, but if nobody's doing that, what we're after is his pat on the back, his validation where he says, you've been faithful over a few things, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of your Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we see much wickedness in our own nation and and Lord, no, we're not to go out and destroy cities. Lord, we are to shine as lights so that men see our good works and they glorify you. But Lord, to do that in these crazy times, if we're not gonna either just be quiet to idolatry or we're not gonna go into idolatry ourselves, Lord, we've gotta first and foremost, our love has to be for you. We've gotta listen to your word, your voice, and we've gotta have a heart that wants to please you. So, Lord, this evening, that's what we recommit ourselves to doing, to loving you with everything in us, to loving you supremely, to have you be our first love. So, Lord, as folks are making that commitment tonight, will you remind them that you can empower them to do that, that you'll help them in that process, and that you'll never leave them or forsake them. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. There is to be nothing greater in our lives than God. He wants priority in our lives because he deserves priority. If we idolize people and what they think over what God says in His Word, 
we are enslaving ourselves to that person or thought. God can give us true freedom to be who He made us to be. As we draw closer into a relationship with Him, people will fail us. Ideas will change and fade. Even our heroes and family will fail us and forsake us one day. But God never fails. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.